G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is the second part of our Follow the Saviour series and it focuses on Mark chapter 1 verses 14 to 20. It's entitled Following Jesus and is all about Jesus calling his first disciples. We hope you enjoy the sermon and find it helpful as you seek to know Jesus and make Jesus known. God bless. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 1, beginning at the 14th verse. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Jesus Christ. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's great to be back this Sunday after a short break last week. Thank you to Reverend Ken uh, for holding the fort last Sunday and leading our service, and also for giving us such a brilliant introduction to the book of Mark. Um, I didn't attend the service in the flesh, but I was able to watch it online, Uh, And Ken did something very brave last week, especially brave for um, 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Uh, He asked the congregation to name all 12 disciples. Um, And can anyone do it this morning? Um, We've got a few. (laughs) Um, But disciples are what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at how the first four disciples, and I'm going to try and name them now, uh, Simon and Andrew... James and John became disciples of Jesus. And speaking of disciples, uh, last Sunday, um, Zoe and I, uh, as a family, we attended another church. Uh, Don't worry, we weren't cheating on you. We do go to other churches um, (laughs) on our holidays. Um, And outside the church, we uh, saw a, a mobility scooter, and it had this sign on it. Um, some faithful disciple had this on their mobility scooter. It said, lead me not into temptation, I can find the way myself. (laughs) (laughs) We 
which I, which I thought was very, very funny. Uh, we did end up getting to meet the disciple um, who had that on her mobility scooter, and she was really lovely. Uh, but Jude tempted her into giving him a ride after the service. Um, so the joke's on her. But temptation is where we left off last Sunday. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, and if you have your Bible, if you have your Bible on an app or something like that, I encourage you to open it up so that we can follow this text together, but I'll put it on the screen anyway. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 12 says this, At once the Spirit sent him, that's Jesus, out into the wilderness, and, in the, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. So Jesus, fresh from his baptism, goes into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. But he makes it through. And as he comes out of the spiritual fire, he finds himself in the frying pan of political tensions. In the beginning of the reading that Ken just read, after John was put in prison, it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, one thing you quickly learn about Mark's gospel and that Ken explained last week is that the action never stops. It's 16 chapters of boom, boom, boom action. Unlike the other accounts of Jesus' life, which spend time uh, giving long, detailed accounts of what Jesus taught or summaries of how many fish the disciples caught, in verse 14, the action just quickens, and it quickens again. Um, the book of Mark is sometimes called um, a passion narrative, so the story of Jesus' death and resurrection with a very short introduction. But the word that Mark uses for time here, where Jesus says, the time has come, is a very significant word. The word kairos, which is used in the original language, um, doesn't, isn't used to describe um, a time on a clock. The, the Greeks had uh, two words for time. The first one was chronos, um, and that describes calendar and um, time on your watch. But the word used here is kairos, which describes a key point in time where God does something awesome. In the days long before wristwatches and digital calendars, kairos moments were much more important than calendar days or hours on a clock. In this Kairos moment, Jesus emerges from the wilderness having overcome Satan only to realize that his trials aren't over. You see, for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, the Savior of the world worked as a carpenter in his dad's business. He never preached a sermon, healed a person, or performed any miracles before his 30th birthday. But now Jesus realizes that the Kairos time has come. It's time to go public. There's a biblical tradition that goes back as far as Joseph in the book of Genesis that saw 30 as the age worthy of leadership. This is why men became rabbis at age 30. 
traveling teachers showed people how to live for God as rabbis. So Jesus emerges from obscurity, finds out that his cousin John is in jail for preaching repentance, and he says, now is the time. John preached that the kingdom was coming, and now Jesus realizes that the time is near to preach, teach, and to die. John's teaching landed him in prison, and Jesus realizes that his message will rub the Roman rulers the wrong way. Regardless of this, this isn't Roman time. Instead, it is Kairos time. And so Jesus echoes John's call for repentance, but he amplifies it by telling the people that the kingdom of God is near. Good job. Well done. You guys are good at filling in the blanks. In Mark, Jesus is the one who ushers in the kingdom because he is the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near because Jesus is near. Now, we often think of a kingdom as a geographical area with borders, a kingdom like the United Kingdom or the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But the way Mark talks about a kingdom is it's borderless. The kingdom is the domain of the king. Wherever Jesus is near, the kingdom is has come. Wherever lives are yielded to the king, wherever God is seen as more important than any other ruler or government, that is where the kingdom of God is. Jesus proclaims it, and then he enacts it by calling disciples into the kingdom. And he says, follow me, the time has come. Follow me. Now, how did Jesus go about proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God? Did he just shout at passers-by and put literature in their hands? Did he post funny photos on the internet and win keyboard battles on his computer? Did he join a protest or write angry letters? Maybe. Maybe Jesus did some of these things in his own way. But what Mark tells us Jesus did next is so essential for us understanding and leading the good life that we often miss it. Look in your Bibles at verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus walks up to two relative strangers and says, follow me. That's his evangelism strategy. That's his invitation. That's it. But follow him, they do. Why? Because remember, this is not just any regular interaction. It's a kairos moment. God has come at the right time to the right people in the right place and the kingdom of God brushes up against Simon and Andrew. 
Now, preachers like me often make a big deal of Simon and Andrew and their humble beginnings, and sometimes we overdo it. Preachers sometimes make these guys out to be poor, illiterate fishermen and make it seem like Jesus only calls one type of person. This isn't the whole story, though, because historians point out that Galilee was a bustling fishing area. They would export fish across the Roman Empire as far as Egypt. Simon and Andrew may have been fishermen, but they could probably read and write. And they had good, stable jobs, so they weren't poor. It's also important to note that Andrew is a Greek name. So these young men have mixed heritage. They come from a mixed background. If anything, Mark isn't emphasizing how wretched Simon and Andrew are. Instead, he's showing us how ordinary they are. Simon and Andrew aren't on the top of the pile, but they're not on the bottom of society either. Rabbis would often call the purest of the pure, the cream of the crop, brilliant, pure Jewish men to follow them. But Jesus is calling everyday people like us to be his disciples. Everyday people are brushing up against the kingdom of God and are being called to follow. And that's another thing that's significant about the way Jesus calls his disciples here in Mark. Normally, rabbis would go from town to town preaching and teaching, and potential students would go up to their favorite rabbi, and they'd say, please, please, let me follow you. I've learned the Torah. I'm ready. And the rabbi would say, no. Nine times out of ten, the rabbi would reject the potential pupil. And the people would go away, they'd study hard, they'd work on their interior life, and then, if they were lucky, they would go back. And maybe the third or fourth time, they'd say, Rabbi, let me follow you. And the rabbi would say, okay, if you must, follow me. And then they'd go and do life with the rabbi. They'd eat with them, they'd sit with them, they'd sit under their yoke of teaching. And then, if they were lucky, they would be sent out to be a rabbi themselves one day. But here Jesus flips the script. He doesn't have the purest of the pure coming up to him and saying, please follow me. Instead, he goes to average Joes and says, follow me. Jesus approaches these everyday people. And again, they're not looking for a calling. Nothing in the text says that they were unsatisfied with their jobs or that they were looking to go and follow a rabbi. They're not looking to change their lifestyles. But Jesus, the very manifestation of the kingdom of God, says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's easy to worry about the motives of Simon and Andrew without noticing that Mark is saying, this is such a special moment that these guys would be cuckoo bananas not to follow. And notice how Jesus gives them a call to action, but he also gives them a mission. They're fishermen now, but Jesus will teach them to, as we said in the uh, kids' talk, fish for folks or fish for people. <coughs> this metaphor is so beautiful and simple that I don't want to over-explain it. 
But what I love about it is that Jesus calls his disciples to fish for people. Excuse me. Fish for people with the same energy that they've fished for food. The gospel here is like a net lifting people out of the dark waters of sin and death into the light of God's glorious new day. While a fish net means death for fish, God's net brings new life and new potential. Just like the fish net breaks through the water and into the deep and gathers up the fish, so God breaks into our lives and brings us into the light of his new day. Fishing takes time, it takes patience, and you need to know what type of fish you're looking for. And this should apply to the way we think about discipleship. And here Jesus shows his disciples that he will show them how to apply everything they've learned about fishing, everything they've learned about life, to living for him and living for God. And friends, this is why our mission at St. John's is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. Jesus is still calling his disciples to him in this Kairos moment, this Kairos moment. Jesus today is calling you, an everyday person, to follow him in Dolby right now. And he wants to show you how to be a part of his redemptive work. Are you a teacher? He'll teach you how to teach people about God. Are you a carer? He'll teach you how to care for souls as well as bodies. Are you a farmer? He'll help you grow fruits for the kingdom. Jesus takes what we do best and helps us to be our best. For God. In the final section of our passage, we see two more brothers being called. They're James and John. These guys are preparing their nets. Again, they're not looking for other work. And they're part of a family business that has probably fished these waters of Galilee for generations. But Mark tells us that in verse 20, that without delay, Jesus called them And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Notice that phrase, without delay. It's used twice in this passage. It's the same as in verse 18. And it's the way that Mark describes how Simon and Andrew followed Jesus without delay. So Jesus is calling disciples without delay and the disciples are following without delay. There's no mucking about here for Mark. Jesus is urgently calling his followers to himself. The kingdom of God is bursting in, and there's a yes or no choice to be made right now. Jesus doesn't give us a year to think about it. Jesus knows John is in jail, and they're coming for him too, so there's no time to be lost. James and John have a decision to make. And here in verse 20, they leave their nets to follow Jesus. Here James and John 
are leaving everything behind. For us today, it's probably most shocking that they would leave their jobs, that they would leave their careers to follow Jesus. But for hearers in Mark's day, the most shocking part of this story would be the fact that they left their father. But they leave both. They leave their father and they leave their career. Now this is, this is the, probably the most shocking thing, the fact that they leave their families behind. The fifth commandment is to honour your father and mother. James and John aren't super religious, upper-class people, but they are good, law-abiding Jews. And abandoning your parents was a crime. But remember, friends, this is a kairos moment, and Mark wants us to feel the electricity in the air. Ordinarily, this situation wouldn't make sense, but Jesus isn't an ordinary rabbi, and these aren't ordinary times. Jesus is calling a people to himself to come and learn from him and study his way of life. Just as James and John were part of the family business, Jesus is calling them to God's family business and to honor God, their ultimate father. This is why I don't think what they're doing is sinful or disrespectful. James and John leave their father with servants who can care for him. And it's quite possible that Zebedee had other family to care for him too. What Mark is telling us here isn't that Jesus was a homewrecker or that he didn't care about honoring father and mother. He cared about the law. He wanted to fulfill the law. Instead, Mark is showing us how important it is that we follow Jesus right now. Jesus' call is so important and so vital that it's even more important than our jobs and even more important than our allegiance to our families. Perhaps you've met people who say things like, I'll follow Jesus um, and go to church when fill in the blank. Perhaps it's when my roster changes, or when my kids grow up, or when sports season finishes. Mark here is saying the call of Jesus is more important than all those things. They may be good things, but they're not as important as our allegiance to Jesus. It's more important than our own personal goals and our agendas, than our work and our immediate family ties. There's nothing to suggest in the text that Zebedee was upset by his sons leaving. Perhaps, as we saw in our kids' talk, perhaps he was proud that they'd found this calling. Jesus came into our world at Christmas to bring us into himself, to bring us into relationship. And Mark is saying, we need to do this without delay. Our Kairos moment is here and now. Every Sunday, we meet together with Jesus' church, his body, and we meet him in the scriptures and at the Lord's table. No matter how you feel or how Jesus seems, Jesus is close. 
He's not far away. The kingdom of God is near. The time has come for you to make a decision. Will you follow Jesus or will you not? In fact, every single day we get to make that choice. Am I going to follow Jesus or is it all too much to ask? Mark is saying it's worth it. It's the only valid response to coming and brushing up against the kingdom of God. Following God is about daily kairos moments, drawing near to him in prayer and reading his word, then following him in your daily life. As you do this, you'll discover the role he wants to play, that he wants you to play in fishing for people, calling followers to Jesus so that they may find fullness of life in him too. The time is now. So follow him without delay. You may be able to think of hundreds of reasons not to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit is telling us right now through the scriptures, don't delay. Don't push me away. I love you and I want you to follow me. History tells us that Simon, who became Peter, is the one who dictated this book of Mark. He's telling us his own story. He's saying, it's worth it. It's worth following Jesus. And as a demonstration of how passionate Peter was about following Jesus, at the end of his life, he was crucified. And he begged his crucifiers, his torturers, not to crucify him the right way up, like his Lord Jesus. He didn't feel worthy, and so he was crucified upside down. That's why the cross of Peter is an upside down cross. James, we hear about his story, and he was the first martyr. It's possible that he had already been martyred by the time the book of Mark was written. John died in prison from natural causes, but in prison for his allegiance to Jesus because he followed Jesus. Andrew, again, like Peter, when he was martyred, asked not to be crucified upright, but to be crucified on his side. That's why the cross of St. Andrew is, is a sideways cross, because he didn't feel worthy of dying like his rabbi Jesus. Friends, Mark is telling us here that our Kairos moment is now. May we see that the time has come that Jesus is calling us just as he called his first disciples, just as we are. And may we follow him into the fullness of life without delay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.